Previously on WebJoy. Welcome to episode 16 of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's like walking a tightrope with Mirza. Welcome back to another episode of WebJoy. I'm excited to be talking to Mirza today. And it was really fun because in kind of the lead up to WebJoy being put out there, we posted a thing about origin stories, Mirza responded, and a fun little conversation happened between a couple of us on Twitter, and Mirza decided to come on the podcast. So Mirza, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So we like to start off the podcast kind of just getting a brief overview about who you are and what you do, where you work. Sure. I think like a lot of product people, my origin story is not what you'd expect it to be <laughs> at all. <laughs> people used to say to do product management, you had to be an engineer. And that was the only way that old Google story, I guess, also Facebook from before time and before times. And mine is very different. I was a poetry translator <laughs> before I ever wound up in tech. I worked as translator and interpreter, specializing in poetry, doing a bunch of other stuff, of course, for about six and a half, seven years before I got a student job in a tech company. One thing led to another. Ten years later, I manage product managers. <laughs> this is my day today. <laughs> so that's like a, the very, very short version of this. It's, of course... A lot more complicated and a lot more meandering than this. I did all kinds of, honestly, all kinds of roles. I think I didn't realize in the beginning the product was what I really wanted to do. But in reality, my first job was already focused on product development. I was not a part of a product team, but I worked with product teams. We were shipping data products and I was doing building training sets for machine learning experiments and models and doing all kinds of boring data entry and online research and all this kind of stuff, and then jumped back and forth. I went into business development and consulting and venture development and all this stuff. But then I realized there was always kind of a thread through all of these. I was always either really focused on shipping products or in the second half of my decade in tech, uh, more on product strategy. And that's sort of what I'm still focused on today. Basically, product strategy is what I like to do the most. That's really interesting. I mean, starting out as a poetry translator, we definitely have had some interesting origin stories. We've had professional horse riders. We've had models for clothes. We've had models for video games, all sorts of stuff. What got you involved in poetry? Why did that stick out to you? I was an English major. It was something that sort of, I think, was kind of par for the course. Well, my degree was also in translation, so it did connect. I never thought I'd work as a translator, to be honest. I got a gig through a friend for this poetry conference. They were, you know, looking for people to underpay, and there I was, ready <laughs> to not earn a lot. Because as much as I loved it, poetry does not make a buck. But I did really like it. So yeah, I got a gig. Honestly, they took a huge leap of faith because they let me translate poems by a living author who was coming to the event in a couple of months. She was this fantastic Australian woman, Jennifer Compton. Hi, Jennifer, if you're listening, we're still friends. 
And I translated her poetry, got published, and that was how I started. And I had the amazing privilege of working with a living author because it's the best. It was a back and forth. We emailed throughout. So, so that's how I got started. And, and that sort of ballooned into all kinds of other things. I was translating academic texts and other stuff and also doing interpreting at like conferences and different things. So a little bit of everything. What all languages did you interpret into or away from? My focus was Bosnian, Croatian, Serbian, and English. Nice. Those three are, well, <laughs> nobody chased me after this, but it's, they're, they're the same language fundamentally <laughs> from a linguistics standpoint, at least politically, perhaps someone more complicated. I'm Bosnian, FYI, just so we're, we're clear what's going on here. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. How did you kind of get the initial idea to switch away from poetry translation and into tech? What was that first thing that kind of got a sparkle in your eye? I know you mentioned it was a long journey and you did a lot of different roles, but there was like a a first role in or around tech, I assume. I've always been techie. I was disassembling (laughs) computers from the tender age of 11 onwards. So the interest had always been there. Honestly, I just needed a job. I was doing my master's and I just needed a part-time student gig. And I got it at a company that was building a social network for scientists. And I sort of thought, well, I'm in academia. They're building a social network for researchers. So I guess that makes sense. So I wound up there, uh, like I said, basically doing a, a data entry job or like a data management job, if you will. And yeah, then I stayed. (laughs) I actually ended up dropping out of my master's, I think like quite a few people in tech and pursuing it as a career. So then you were doing a bunch of stuff in and around kind of product and having products be shipped. What role were you in right before you got into your first product management job? I was a business development manager. The story goes, my company was, kind of started exploding growth-wise. We just got unicorn, we became a unicorn, we got all this funding, et cetera, and we couldn't hire product managers. It was just like a really bad hiring crunch at the time. There was, you know, more product manager jobs than there were PMs, I guess, like 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 today. <laughs> Nothing's really changed. <laughs> yeah. And I had done quite a bit of project management and all this other stuff. And working on the biz dev side, I was always the person like bringing things to the product teams, new customers, new feature requests, all this stuff. So there was a lot of interaction already. And the company asked me, would I consider kind of doing an interim type thing for half a year? It started with with two months and turned out to be more than (laughs) more than two months. But that was how I started doing product. And I, I didn't stick with it originally. I had this amazing boss who I I didn't want to abandon, so I stayed on the biz dev side. Then my boss eventually left, <laughs> and and I moved on. But yeah, it took me a while to kind of come back to it, but then I did, and full force, fully committed, <laughs> and back in product management. What do you think it is about, you know, you mentioned you've worked on shipping product and processes, but your favorite thing is product strategy. Can you talk a little bit more about what it is about product strategy that gets you excited and keeps you focused and kind of keeps you doing what you do? 
it's the same thing that gets me excited about product management because both are comprehensive. They require understanding things through and through, essentially. So to do product strategy, there are no solo acts in product management and there are no solo acts in product strategy. What it requires is to basically take a really deep introspective look at an organization, work with all the different sides of that organization, and try to understand it bottom up. Like try to interpret what the needs of that organization are and to figure out how to deliver the outcomes that are necessary for that organization through a set of calculated bets, essentially. That's fundamentally what I think strategy is, what a product strategy is. And that requires both a lot of research and pouring through data and also, you know, taking a look to the outside world. Not too hard a look, in my opinion. People get stuck on that, I feel. Yes, know your competitors, but don't obsess over them. And it requires working with a lot of people, not regularly, and it requires a lot of interaction. So it's a long rambly answer I'm giving you, but what I'm trying to say is that it's about, fundamentally, it's a complex task that requires a lot of interaction and it requires introspection on an organizational level. And I just really enjoy that. I think there's something about, fundamentally, it's a system to gauge, to understand, to peer through, if you will, and and redevelop, reconstitute in a way, because it's one of those things where the the sum, the whole is greater than the, the sum of its parts. And that process to get to it, I find terribly exciting, however difficult it may be. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. One thing that's interesting is really in tech, to do a good job, every role needs to be collaborative and cross-functional. But I feel like the most cross-functional of all cross-functional positions is like product positions because they are the people, right, really in the center. Engineers get a lot of their knowledge from, they get the strategy and the product management aspects from product people. The product people are the ones working a lot of times with sales and with product marketing and all the different components. And so that really puts you at the center of like the wheel, if you're picturing a wheel with all the spokes, like product is in the center and everyone else is around the outside. So yeah, you really have to love working with people and working collaboratively, it feels like. Absolutely. I think I think product management is the science of the in-between. On the one hand, I think your metaphor describes it really well. You know, on the one hand, you're managing stakeholders. So you're in between various functions, various people in the process, but you're also always in between, let's say, different realities, so to say, you know, on the one hand, you are focused on delivering value to customers while capturing value for the business. And you are focused on talking to users, but not spending all of your time talking to users. So there's always, it's a balancing act that's sort of never ending, but almost like walking on a tightrope. But I think that's, the fun part of it, I guess. I, I guess all, all of us, either we all have Stockholm Syndrome, which I think is entirely possible <laughs> because we're trapped inside this world, but I get a lot of joy out of it and a lot of fun. I title every episode based on something that the guest says during the episode. It's like walking on a tightrope. Congratulations. That's the title of this episode. <laughs> you just nailed the title right there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Love it. So... Before we got started, we were chatting and everything, and you were talking about your journey with 
your gender identity and your sexual identity and kind of what that's been like in tech. So I just wanted to take a little bit of time to to talk about that, right? That is an area that tech could use a lot of improvement in, but it sounds like you've had some good experiences as well. So kind of talk to me about what it was like when you first started tech, how you were identifying at that time, and then kind of how that journey took you. I've always been pretty out and proud. I think I came out when I was about 18 as gay and (laughs) made no secret of it since. Actually made a bit of a public deal of it. I, you know, went into activism uh, in Bosnia and came out in the news, which caused a few, ruffled a few feathers, but it was overall a very positive experience. And I think that I kind of took that with me wherever I went. So my first job in tech, I, you know, I was just out from day one. There was, it was not a secret uh, in any way, shape, or form. But I was also at the time still sort of coming to terms with the fact that I'm non-binary. I didn't really have language for that at the time. And, uh, you know, nowadays I present, <laughs> ironically, more boyish, but I presented more femme before my first job in tech or... To be totally honest, I presented more femme on the weekends and not necessarily during work hours. I definitely actively in some way, you know, try to suppress and repress my gender identity. I didn't realize that that's what I was necessarily doing. I just sort of thought to myself, well, this is my weekend look and, you know, I'm going out. So this is my weekend look now. And it took me a while. I I only, I mean, I came out as non-binary a few years ago to my friends, et cetera. And last year, I don't know, I guess I sort of realized, to be totally honest, that I'd reached a point in my career where I have the kind of security to not really care about this anymore. So so it did take, I just listened to an amazing episode on Jason Knight's podcast with Sayelda Silva, who is incredible, and I recommend everyone follow her. She came out uh, with her story. She told the story about how kind of had to convince yourself or spend time convincing yourself that everyone will respect you for your brain, not for your gender identity. And I think for a lot of us, it's a very very similar story. You know, we spend all this time being the overachievers and the top performers and the whatever, trying to build ourselves up and trying to build a reputation or build a profile, a resume, whatever, so that we are actually financially secure or secure in any other way. Because, you know, career safety, job safety is a real concern for a lot of people, a lot of LGBTIQ people, especially a lot of trans people of color. And we live in a very unsafe world that seems to be undoing all the progress we've made in the last 50 years. So it's a really tough time. So yeah, I think for me, I suddenly found myself in a situation where I realized, oh, I had housing security and job security and all these different kinds of different forms of safety. So I just came out. I changed my pronouns on LinkedIn. I, I don't know, like <laughs> had a couple of glasses of wine with my colleagues and then came out, you know, at a work <laughs> event. The wine definitely helps. <laughs> the wine definitely helps. Uh, not that I recommend it. This is how people need to come out. This is how it happened that I did it. But it was amazing. My coworkers were incredible about it. They were really, really wonderful. I'm respecting my pronoun choice or or how I identify 
always being very respectful and asking me questions that I thought were perfectly fine to ask and engaging in really interesting conversations. So it's, in my experience, been really great. I can recommend it to anyone. I will say that we don't all have the luxury to do this. And there's a lot of people that may really want to, but cannot. But I hope that if they get to hear this episode, that they should know that it's possible and that there is a way. When you do it, it is incredibly joyful. I recommend it to anyone. The stability in your living situation, in your working situation, definitely, I can see how that would help a lot. Were there any kind of signs of the environment of where you worked where they were white flags? Like, okay, this could be a safe place to come out to them. If there's one thing queer folk know how to do is it's to find, you know, find safe places and spaces uh, for sure. Part of the reason I joined this place, uh, this workplace, this company was that I I looked for these signs and I've also been, you know, much more and more open about this. I used to never mention anything about my identity in, in job interviews. I used to focus on, no, I had to get it on merit. It needs to be about my resume, about my skills and experience, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, a job interview is two-way and I'm interviewing them as much as they're interviewing me. And I absolutely started doing that. So, and with these folks, yeah, there were many signs. They were super inclusive in their language. Just like, even if you read a job ad, there is a way to write a job ad that is more inclusive than not. I see those examples all the time. And just everything else, you know, I'll be a little more skeptical when companies pinkwash their logos in June. And uh, that's the only thing they do in terms of like inclusion and DEI and whatever. So my catchphrase here is, you know, if you want to pinkwash your logos, then you have to pinkwash your management team as well. <laughs> that's good. And then that's how that should work. I think we have a really long way to go. We are nowhere near even in terms of basic Parody, whatever parody means in this sense, I, I don't actually I dislike that that word to be honest because I don't think ultimately it's about parody. It's about equality of opportunity and a level playing field for everyone. That's what we're actually talking about here. And then yes, representation does matter. So having you know boards of companies that are diverse and management teams that are diverse matters a lot. And it has trickle-down effects on how the rest of the business is organized and run, etc. There's many things companies can do to make this better. Do you feel like, obviously, it's great that they've been respecting your pronouns. Do you feel like by them knowing you are non-binary, are you able to behave differently around them, right? Have you found yourself choosing to be more femme at times? What has that journey after that announcement kind of been like for you on the inside? I think it's mostly just been one of relief more than anything else. I I feel more comfortable around my coworkers. I feel more comfortable around people I work with. And I think it also inspires other, others to be very open with me. I think it's it's helped establish let's say closer work relationships and also friendships uh, through work. So it's definitely resulted in all of that. And I feel very supported 
by my workplace. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a very confident loudmouth, so it goes, it's, <laughs> I think, fairly easy <laughs> to support me if you want to. I think, yeah, the effect is mainly psychological. I, I don't know if I've now, you know, wanted to dye my hair pink or whatever because of it. To a, I now show here, now <laughs> look at how non-binary I am. But it's a psychological effect. I, I think it's improved the quality of my life and my work environment in some sense. That's really deep. And I think obviously there's going to be all sorts of people listening to this. I hope anyone that is non-binary or queer in any way like finds this encouraging. For those who don't identify, right, that just identify cis, I think one of the most important things that you can take out of this is like dropping the waterline about yourself with the people around you, right? It doesn't matter what your identity is, right? Whether it is, you know, gender related, whether it is religion related, whether it is just, I don't know, your hobbies that you think everyone's going to think you're weird for liking that hobby. But I think the more personal the things are, right? Like the hard times in your life or something hard going on in your family, when you drop that waterline, I've also found my coworkers become closer to me. And finding those those ways, I think being in a very largely remote work world makes it a little bit more challenging lately, the last couple of years. But finding those opportunities to just get little coffee chats with people and dropping the waterline about who you are really does bond you with your, your coworkers. So that's great to hear that that's the effect it's had on you. Absolutely. I, I think it's it's important because it's about fundamentally this concept of wholeness, bringing your whole self to work, because work is an, a part of life. I can't compartmentalize it and I can't separate it out. There's not a neat division between, okay, this is my private life, this is my work life, especially not since the pandemic. My work life is now in my living room. So that it's impossible to separate these things. And yeah, I think... Opening up a little bit of vulnerability goes a long way. One of the main things we try to touch on every episode is something that has brought us joy, different tools or software or processes. So yeah, as we were preparing, you mentioned that you had a change of heart about some of the tools you use. So uh, go ahead and share it with us. What, what was this change of heart that you had? So at the beginning of the year, when I joined my company, they surprised me by telling me that, oh, we don't use Miro, we use FigJam. And I'd used Figma before, sure, working with designers and all that jazz, but I was a very heavy Miro user. I used Miro on a daily basis for everything from work things to private things, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I was sort of in a state of shock <laughs> when I realized I didn't have access to it at work. And I was honestly very, very grumpy about it for a couple of weeks until I started using Fig Jam. And I'm sorry, Miro, but it's over. I'm 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 gone. I'm gone. Fig Jam is just so nice. Don't get me wrong, Miro has a lot of a lot of benefits. You know, it has a gazillion features and Maybe one too many, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I really fell in love with Fig Jam. It, it brings me joy because it's it's sleek, it's fast. Their feature rollout is incredible. How they're doing it, how things are moving and progressing is really, really wonderful. It all works. I, I, I think there was, in six months that I've been using it, there's been one moment <laughs> when it was like a global outage, but that was it. Everything else has been nothing, nothing but positive. And everyone I've introduced Fig Jam to has basically fallen in love. So it's, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't work for Fig Jam, <laughs> FYI. So I get nothing for saying this other than joy. <laughs> I'm a big Miro user. At the previous company, I was actually the one who discovered Miro and introduced it to the head of product at our company, and he fell in love with it. I've done that twice with Miro in two different companies. So I'm not dissing it all the way, trust me. But <laughs> I guess sometimes, you know, it's how product works, you know, because they fundamentally do the same thing. And Miro is has all this legacy and years on FigJam, uh, all these features, et cetera. But they just took, you know, the 10% that really matter and made them lighter and faster and nicer. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. I've used FigJam one or two times. The designers at my current company have you know been experimenting with it. And it feels more whimsical to me. I don't know if that's like an accurate perception. I don't know if you've felt that way, but like it's, like you said, it feels lighter engagement-wise, but it also kind of feels just like lighter to use. I don't know, a little bit more fun to use. Is that kind of the perception you get? I think it's a lot more fun to use. It's a little less clunky in a sense. And the more they're kind of rolling out new things, the more customizable things are. Plus they do, you know, funny little quirky things like you can high five each other with your cursors and, and stuff. And these little, little moments of pure delight, it's how product development should be done, honestly. It's both incredibly useful. It solves real problems. So intuitive that, you know, no matter who you're with on that board, and I've been in workshops with people of various degree of, let's say, understanding of how to use such software, you know, people who I saw fall apart in Miro, <laughs> but for, or struggle with different, you know, so many functions and buttons and things in Miro, like, you know, it's just, it's a limited set of things you can do in FigJam, or at least it was, it's also growing. So yeah, it's, a, it's definitely an intuitive tool to use. You know, whenever we wrap up the episode, we always like to give the guest an opportunity to kind of give a shout out or a plug to, you know, different things that they support or have found useful that they think the community will find useful. So I think you have two things to share with the community. What are those? Sort of developing, let's say, as a mentor for the past couple of years, I started this journey of mentoring others in product management. And I joined a couple of communities that where I can either be reached or that I recommend to others if they're interested. One is Two Hearts. This is, if you visit twoheartscommunity.com, that's two, the number two. It's a community that supports young immigrants in tech. And by, through providing mentorship, through providing events and introductions, helping folks get a foot in the door, you know, focusing on underrepresented groups, especially. And that's kind of my focus as well. I try to work as much as I can with LGBTQ folks wherever possible. I'm also mentoring through adplist.org, so you can find me there as well if you're looking for mentors or just looking to chat. And one thing that I'm thinking of trying to organize, I guess, it's sort of in the early stages, is a queer product meetup. I'm based in Berlin, so we're thinking of maybe starting out locally, but probably also doing a virtual event as well. So if that's something that's interesting to any of your listeners, please do reach out. I'd love to talk to you about it. Yeah, it's perfect. We always, in product, you like to put things out there and see how customers would respond or potential users would respond. So it's a great opportunity. Anyone listening that 
thinks that they really want Mirza to put together this product meetup, definitely reach out, let them know. All right, well, that's it for today. Mirza, thank you so much for joining. It has been an absolute delight to just chat and get to know you better. Likewise, I, I had a great time. <laughs> thank you for joining us for episode 16, It's Like Walking a Tightrope with Mirza. You can find out more about Mirza on their Twitter, at Mirza Writing. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Mirza's Twitter in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well. Give us a shout out on Twitter, tag a friend or coworker that you think might enjoy it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter to stay up to date, at WebJoyFM. Thank you for listening, and have a great day. <laughs>